0: Life-changing decisions can be hard, or they can be flexible, inclusive, and best of all, rewarding. Earn your master's in computer science, data science, or information systems at Northeastern University in the San Francisco Bay Area. No matter your experience, earn your degree. Plus, the desirable Bay Area is a smaller, collaborative campus, but connected to the huge Northeastern University. Discover the different technology degrees available. Visit northeastern.edu pathways to tech. show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights Show on Education and the New Heights Educational Group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is based on the life of Frederick Douglass who wrote three autobiographies. I will continue with the second autobiography written by Frederick Douglass which is my bondage and my freedom, which each week I will read to you certain portions of each chapter. The e-book can be downloaded from www.gutenberg.org/files/202/202-h/202-h.htm. Chapter 25. Various incidents. I have now given the reader an imperfect sketch of nine years' experience in freedom, three years as a common labourer on the walls of New Bedford, four years as a lecturer in New England and two years of semi-exile in Great Britain and Ireland. A single ray of light remains to be flung upon my life during the last eight years and my story will be done. A trial awaited me on my return from England to the United States, for which I was but very imperfectly prepared. My plans for my then future usefulness as an anti-slavery advocate were all settled. My friends in England had resolved to raise a given sum to purchase for me a press and printing materials, and I already saw myself welding my pen as well as my voice In the great work of renovating the public mind and building up a public sentiment which should at least send slavery and oppression to the grave and restore to liberty and the pursuit of happiness the people with whom I had suffered both as a slave and as a freeman. Intimation had reached my friends in Boston of what I intended to do before my arrival and I was prepared to find them favorably disposed towards my much cherished enterprise. In this I was mistaken. I found them very earnestly opposed to the idea of my starting a paper, and for several reasons. First, the paper was not needed. Secondly, it would interfere with my usefulness as a lecturer. Thirdly, I was better fitted to speak than to write. Fourthly, the paper could not succeed. This opposition, from a quarter so highly esteemed, and to which I had been accustomed to look for advice and direction, caused me not only to hesitate, but inclined me to abandon the enterprise. All previous attempts to establish such a journal having failed, I felt that probably I should but add another to the list of failures, and thus contribute another proof of the mental and moral deficiencies of my race." Very much that was said to me in respect to my imperfect literary acquirements, I felt to be most painfully true. The unsuccessful projectors of all the previous colored newspapers were my superiors in point of education and if they failed how could I hope for success. Yet I did hope for success and persisted in the undertaking. Some of my English friends greatly encouraged me to go forward and I shall never cease to be grateful for their words of cheer and generous deeds. I can easily pardon those who have denounced me as ambitious and presumptuous, in view of my persistence in this enterprise. I was but nine years from slavery, in point of mental experience I was but nine years old. That one in such circumstances should aspire to establish a printing press among an educated people might well be considered, if not ambitious, quite silly. My American friend looked at me with astonishment. A wood sawyer, offering himself to the public as an editor. A slave, brought up in the very depths of ignorance, assuming to instruct the highly civilized people of the North in the principles of liberty, justice and humanity. The thing looked absurd. Nevertheless, I persevered. I felt that the want of education, great as it was, could be overcome by study, and that knowledge would come by experience and further which was perhaps the most controlling consideration. I thought that an intelligent public knowing my early history would easily pardon a large share of the deficiencies which I was sure that my paper would exhibit. The most distressful thing, however, was the offence which I was about to give my Boston friends by what seemed to them a reckless disregard of their sage advice. I am not sure that I was not under the influence of something Like a slavish adoration of my Boston friends, and I laboured hard to convince them of the wisdom of my undertaking, but without success. Indeed, I never expect to succeed, although time has answered all their original objections. The paper has been successful. It is a large sheet costing $80 per week, has 3,000 subscribers, has been published regularly in nearly 8 years, and bids fair to stand eight years longer. At any rate, the eight years to come are as full of promise as were well the eight that are past. It is not to be concealed, however, that the maintenance of such a journal under the circumstances has been a work of much difficulty, and could all the perplexity, anxiety, and trouble attending it have been clearly foreseen. I might have shrunk from the undertaking. As it is, I rejoice in having engaged in the enterprise and count it joy to have been able to suffer in many ways for its success, and for the success of the cause to which it has been faithfully devoted. I look upon the time, money and labour bestowed upon it as being amply rewarded in the development of my own mental and moral energies and the corresponding development of my deeply injured and oppressed people. Reception Speech, 10, at Finsbury Chapel, Moorfields, England, May twelfth, 1846. Mr. Douglas rose in loud, amid loud cheers and said, I feel exceedingly glad of the opportunity now afforded me of presenting the claims of my brethren in bonds in the United States to so many in London and from various parts of Britain who have assembled here on the present occasion. I have nothing to commend me to your consideration in the way of learning, nothing in the way of education to entitle me to your attention, and you are aware that slavery is a very bad school for rearing teachers of morality and religion. Twenty-one years of my life have been spent in slavery, personal slavery, surrounded by degrading influences such as can exist nowhere beyond the pale of slavery, and it will not be strange if under such circumstances I should betray, in what I have to say to you, a deficiency of that refinement which is seldom or ever found, except among persons that have experienced superior advantages to those which I have enjoyed. But I will take it for granted that you know something about the degrading influence of slavery, and that you will not expect great things from me this evening, but simply such facts as I may be able to advance immediately in connection with my own experience of slavery." Now, what is this system of slavery? This is the subject of my lecture this evening. What is the character of this institution? I am about to answer the inquiry. What is American slavery? I do this the more readily, since I have found persons in this country who have identified the term slavery with that which I think it is not, and in some instances I have fared in so doing, have rather unwittingly, I know, detracted much from the horror with which the term slavery is contemplated. It is common in this country to to distinguish every bad thing by the name of slavery. Intemperance is slavery. To be deprived of the right to vote is slavery, says one. To have to work hard is slavery, says another. And I do not know but that if we should let them go on, they would say that to eat when we are hungry. To walk when we, when we decide to have exercise, or to minister to our necessities, or have necessities at all, is slavery. I do not wish for a moment to detract from the horror with which the evil of intemperance is contemplated. Not at all. Nor do I wish to throw the slightest obstruction in the way of any political freedom that any class of persons in this country may desire to obtain. But I am here to say that, that I think the term slavery is sometimes abused by identifying it with that which it is not. Slavery in the United States is a granting of that power by which one man exercises and enforces a right of property in the body and soul of another. The condition of a slave is simply that of the brute beast. He is a piece of property, a marketable commodity in the language of the law, to be bought or sold at the will and caprice of the master who claims him to be his property. He is spoken of, thought of, and treated as property. His own good, his conscience, his intellect, his affections, are all set aside by the master. The will and the wishes of the master are the law of the slave. He is as much a piece of property as a horse. If he is fed, he is fed because he is property. If he is clothed, it is with a view to the increase of his value as property. Whatever of comfort, comfort is necessary to him for his body or soul that is inconsistent with his being property is carefully wrested from him not only by public opinion but but by the law of the country he is carefully deprived of everything that tends in the slightest degree to detract from his value as property he is deprived of education god has given him an intellect the slaveholder declares it shall not be cultivated If his moral perception leads him in a course contrary to his value as property, the slaveholder declares he shall not exercise it. The marriage institution cannot exist among slaves, and one-sixth of the population of democratic America is denied its privileges by the law of the land. What is to be thought of a nation boasting of its liberty, boasting of its humanity, boasting of its Christianity, boasting of its love of justice and purity, and yet having within its own borders three millions of persons denied by law the right of marriage. What must be the condition of that people? I need not lift up the veil by giving you any experience of my own. Everyone that can put two ideas together must see the most fearful results from such a state of things as I have just mentioned. If any of these three millions find for themselves companions and prove themselves honest, upright, virtuous persons to each other, yet in these cases, few as I am bound to confess they are. The virtuous live in constant apprehension of being torn asunder by the merciless men-stealers that claim them as their property. This is American slavery. No marriage. No education. The light of the gospel shut out from the dark mind of the bondman, and he forbidden by law to learn to read. If a mother shall teach her children to read... The law in Louis—the law in Louisiana proclaims that she may be hanged by the neck. If the father attempts to give his son a knowledge of letters, he may be punished by the whip in one instance, and in another be killed at the discretion of the court. Three millions of people shut out from the light of knowledge. It is easy for you to conceive the evil that must result from such a state of things. educational resources to help reach your goals hello listeners if you're enjoying the new Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization please visit www.newheightseducation.org and while you're there check out our online store How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show, Frederick Douglass will continue. Dr. Campbell's Reply From Reverend Dr. Campbell's brilliant reply, we extract the following. Frederick Douglass, the beast of burden, the portion of goods and chattels, the representative of three millions of men, has been raised up. Shall I say, the man? If there is a man on earth, he is a man. My blood boiled within me when I heard his address tonight and thought that he had left behind him three millions of such men. We must see more of this man, we must have more of this man. One would have taken a voyage around the globe some forty years back, especially since the introduction of steam, to have heard such an exposure of slavery from the lips of a slave. It will be an error in the individual history of the present assembly, our children, our boys and girls, I have tonight seen the delightful sympathy of their hearts evinced by their heavy, by their heaving breasts, while their eyes sparkled with wonder and admiration that this black man, this slave, had so much logic, so much wit, so much fancy, so much eloquence. He was something more than a man, according to their little notions then I say we must hear him again. We have got a purpose to accomplish. He has appealed to the pulpit of England. The English pulpit is with him. He has appealed to the press of England. The press of England is conducted by English hearts, and that press will do him justice. About ten days hence, and his second master, who may well prize such a piece of goods, will have the pleasure of reading his burning words, and his first master will bless himself that he has got quit of him we have to create public opinion or rather not to create it for it is created already but we have to foster it and when tonight i heard those magnificent words the words of Curran, by which my heart from boyhood has oftentimes been deeply moved i rejoice to think that they embody an instinct of an englishman's nature i heard with inexpressible delight how they told on this mighty mass of the citizens of the Metropolis. Britain has now no slaves. We can therefore talk to the other nations now, as we could not have talked a dozen years ago. I want the whole of the London Ministry to meet Douglas, whereas his appeal is to England and throughout England I should rejoice in the idea of churchmen and dissenters, merging all sectional distinctions in this cause, let us have a public breakfast. Let the ministers meet him. Let them hear him. Let them grasp his hand, and let him enlist their sympathies on behalf of the slave. Let him inspire them with ab- abhorrence of the man-stealer, the slaveholder. No slaveholding American shall ever cross shall ever my cross my door. No slaveholding or slavery-supporting minister shall ever pollute my pulpit. While I have a tongue to speak or a hand to write. I will, to the utmost of my power, oppose those slave-holding men. We must have Douglas amongst us to aid in fostering public opinion. The great conflict with slavery must now take place in America, and while they are adding other slave states to the Union, our business is to step forward and help the abolitionists there. It is a pleasing circumstance that such a body of men has risen in America, and whilst we hurl our thunders against her slavers, Let us make a distinction between those who advocate slavery and those who oppose it. George Thompson has been there. This man, Frederick Douglass, has been there, and has been compelled to flee. I wish, when he first set foot on our shores, he had made a solemn vow and said, Now that I am free, and in the sanctuary of freedom, I will never return till I have seen the emancipation of my country completed. He wants to surround these men the slaveholders as by a wall of fire, and he himself may do much towards kindling it. Let him travel over the island, east, west, north and south, everywhere diffusing knowledge and awakening principle, till the whole nation becomes a body of petitioners to America. He will, he must, do it. He must for a season to make England his home. He must send for his wife. He must send for his children. I want to see the sons and daughters of such a seer. We too must do something for him, and them worthy of the English name. I do not like the idea of a man of such mental dimensions, such moral courage, and all but incomparable talent, having his own small wants, and the wants of a distant wife and children, supplied by the poor profits of his publication, the sketch of his life. Let the pamphlet be bought by tens of thousands, but we will do something more for him shall we not? It only remains that we pass a resolution of thanks to Frederick Douglass, the slave that was, the man that is, he that was covered with chains, and that is now being covered with glory, and whom we will send back a gentleman. Letter to his old master. 11. To my old master Thomas Auld. Sir, the long and intimate though by by no means friendly, relation which unhappily subsisted between you and myself, leads me to hope that you will easily account for the great liberty which I now take in addressing you in this open and public manner. The same fact may remove any disagreeable surprise which you may experience on again finding your name coupled with mine, in any other way than in an advertisement accurately describing my person and offering a large some for my arrest. In thus dragging you again before the public I am aware that that I shall subject myself to no inconsiderable amount of censure. I shall probably be charged with an unwarrantable, if not a wanton and reckless disregard of the rights and properties of private life. There are those North as well as South who entertain a much higher respect for rights which are merely conventional, than they do for rights which are personal and essential. Not a few there are in our country who, while they have no scruples against robbing the labour of the hard-earned results of its patient industry, will be shocked by the extremely indelicate manner of bringing your name before the public. Believing this to be the case and wishing to meet every reasonable or plausible objection to our conduct. I will frankly state the ground upon which I justify myself in this instance, as well as on former occasions when I have thought my when I thought proper to mention your name in public. All will agree that a man guilty of theft, robbery, or murder, has forfeited the right to concealment in private life; that the community has a right to subject such persons to the most complete exposure. However. Much they may desire retirement and aim to conceal themselves, end their movements from the popular gaze, the public have a right to ferret them out and bring their conduct before the proper tribunals of the country for investigation. Sir, you will undoubtedly make the proper application of these generally admitted principles and will easily see the light in which you are regarded by me. I will not therefore manifest ill-temper by calling you hard names, I know you to be a man of some intelligence and can readily determine the precise estimate which I entertain of your character. I may therefore indulge in language may, which may seem to others indirect and, and ambiguous and yet to be quite well understood by yourself. I have selected this day on which to address you because it is the anniversary of my emancipation and knowing no better way, I am led to this as the best mode of... Of celebrating that truly important events. Just ten years ago, this beautiful September morning, yon bright sun beheld me a slave, a poor degraded chattel, trembling at the sound of your voice, lamenting that I was a man and wishing myself a brute. The hopes which I had treasured up for weeks of a safe and successful escape from your grasp, were powerfully confronted at this last hour by dark clouds of doubt and fear making my person shake and my bosom to heave with a heavy contest between hope and fear. I have no words to describe to you the deep agony of soul which I experienced on that never-to-be-forgotten morning, for I left by daylight. I was making a leap in the dark. The probabilities so far as I could by reason determine them were stoutly against the undertaking. The preliminaries and precautions I had adopted previously all worked badly. I was like one going to war without weapons. Ten chances of defeat to one of victory. One in whom I had confided and one who had promised me assistance, appalled by fear at the trial hour, deserted me, thus leaving the responsibility of success or failure solely with myself. You, sir, could never know my feelings as I look back to them. I can scarcely realize that I passed through a scene so trying, trying however as they were, and gloomy it was the prospect, thanks to be the Most High, who is ever the God of the oppressed, at the moment which was to determine my whole earthly career. His grace was sufficient, my mind was made up, I embraced the golden opportunity, took the morning tide of the flood, and a free man, young, active, and strong is the result." I have often thought I should like to explain to you the grounds upon which I have justified myself in running away from you. I am almost ashamed to do so now, for by this time you may have discovered them yourself. I will however glance at them, when yet but a child about six years old, I am by the determination to run away. The very first mental effort that I now remember on my part was an attempt to solve the mystery Why am I a slave? And with this question my youthful mind was troubled for many days pressing upon me more heavily at times than others When I saw the slave driver whip a slave woman cut the blood out of her neck and heard her piteous cries I went away into the corner of the fence wept and pondered over the mystery I had through some medium I know not what got some idea of God, the creator of all mankind, the black and the white, and that he had made the blacks to serve the whites as slaves. How he could do this and be good, I could not tell. I was not satisfied with this theory, which made God responsible for slavery, for it pained me greatly, and I have wept over it long and often. At one time, your first wife, Mrs. Lucretia, heard me sigh and saw me shedding tears, and asked of me this matter. But I was afraid to tell her. I was puzzled with this question. Till one night, while sitting in the kitchen, I heard some of the old slaves talking of their parents having been stolen from Africa by white men and were sold here as slaves. The whole mystery was solved at once. Very soon after this, my Aunt Jinny and Uncle Noah ran away, and the great noise made about it by your father-in-law made me for the first time acquainted with the fact that there were free states as well as slave states. From that time, I resolved that I would someday run away. The morality of the act I disposed of was as follows. I am myself. You are yourself. We are two distinct persons, equal persons. What you are, I am. You are a man, and so am I. God created both and made us separate beings. I am not by nature bond to you or you to me. Nature does not make your existence depend upon me or mine to depend upon yours. I cannot walk upon your legs or you upon mine. I cannot breathe for you or you for me. I must breathe for myself and you for yourself. We are distinct persons and are each equally provided with faculties necessary to our individual existence. In leaving you I took nothing. But what belonged to me, and in no way lessened your means for obtaining an honest living. Your faculties remained yours, and mine became useful to their rightful owner. I therefore see no wrong in any part of the transaction. It is true, I went off secretly, but that was more your fault than mine. Had I let you into the secret, you would have defeated the enterprise entirely. But for this, I should have been really glad to have made you acquainted with my intentions to leave. This comes to the conclusion of the show. Next week's show will continue on the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, My Bondage and My Freedom. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email, barbara B at newheightseducation.org. Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newhyrteeducation.org, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows, which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please follow us on your favorite network. We are asking that you support NHEG by giving to a great cause that fights for equal rights for all students. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week.